Hi, Greg Perry, the Historic Preservationist. Welcome to episode 346. Let's edge back into horology and let's talk about early case making in London and throughout the UK. So one part of a long case clock was that rarely the clockmaker's province was the case. Ironically, this is what many lay people regard as being the clock. The case was usually a cabinet maker's job or a coffin maker's job, as the skills were quite different from those needed to make the movement. As with most antique British furniture, very little is known about who made an individual item. It is clear that, in London at least, the making of clock cases was a distinct branch of the furniture trade as different joints and moldings are used for clock cases. Whereas in the provinces, uh, a local cabinet maker would make a long case to the requirements of his local clockmaker, along with his other run of work. Clock cases made in London are off a very similar type to each other. It's kind of like a, a coming out of the same school. Though details, such as the, the design on marquetry panels, differ from case to case, the 18th century trade label, say for Richard Reeves, clock case maker of Little Bandy Leg Walk, South Work. So in this, he does not appear to have been listed in London trade directories. Country orders carefully executed indicates that he was accustomed to supplying cases to provincial clock makers who needed something more stylish than what a local cabinet maker could produce. A Mr. Hill, a clock casemaker of great business, who died at his house in Long Lane near West Smithfield in 1743, may have been a significant maker of London cases in the early 18th century or earlier. The fashionable mahogany case made in London after the middle of the 18th century appears so standardized, with a number of variations in their details that it is tempting to think that just one firm, or at least most of a handful of case makers, produced them. Fortunately, one of these mahogany cases of about 1760 to 1780 has been recorded with the trade label of William Bonington's Clock and Dial Case Manufactory, number 6 Red Lion Street, Clerkenwell. William Bonington or Bonington, as we're not sure, appears in London Directorate directories at the address of 1789-90 to 90, with a J. Bonington at 25 Red Lion Street and George Bonington also in Red Lion Street, which no number was given, both in 1790. Sometime during 1790, J. Bonington appears to have gone into partnership and traded from the same address as Bonington and Thorpe, who confusingly subscribed to Thomas Sheraton's The Cabinet Maker and the Upholster's Drawing Book in 1793, with an address at 22 Red Lion Street. Either this was a misprint or they moved to premises just a few doors away. They were in Red Lion Street at least until 1811. All these people were listed as clock casemakers, not clock makers. Other clock casemakers 
who were listed in the London trade directories include William Payton um, of 30 Addle Street, Wood Street in 1789-90, Thomas and Charles Russell, Barbican Street in 1785, and trading at Russell & Son in 1790, and Edward Cooper in 223 Sutton Street, Woods Close in 1785 at 23 Great Sutton Street, Clerkenwell. In the early 19th century, Benjamin Vullamy, which is one of the great clockmakers of the uh, 18th century, and Benjamin Lewis Vullamy had most of their wooden cases made by Mr. Rich, who was given in a list of Vullamy's outworkers rather than condescendingly as a box maker at the sign of the sun, Longacre. The cases made by Rich (coughs) for Vullamy included those for mantel clocks, regulator clocks, and common eight-day long clocks. And he also made cases for Thomas Mudge and William Dutton in the 1780s. It is difficult to identify Rich with certainty at different addresses, which are given in directories for Philip Rich, upholster and cabinet maker, 1793, Anne Rich, clock case maker, 1808. The most probable is William Rich and Company of Great Wild Street, London, Infields. Other case makers used by Volumy were Thomas Lawther of Clockenwell Close and Red Lion Street. In the 1820s, the Browley, including the case for an eight-day long case clock in 1800. Lower is known to have made a dial case for Elliot and Taylor in 1814. So apart from the famous firm of Gillows and Lancaster, who were out of the leading furniture makers in Britain in the 18th and 19th centuries, supplying cases to the leading clockmakers, few case makers can ever be named. But information is gradually coming to light. So we keep looking and keep formulating the list of case makers, but this is only a small percentage of those cabinet makers who must have also made cases for clocks. Many of those working in London in the 19th century may have well made cases for bracket and mantel clocks also, rather than just long cases, as these had largely dropped out of fashion in the center of the capital by then. Information on the craftsmen who decorated lacquer cases is particularly sparse, but James Hugh of Edinburgh is listed as a gilder and Japaner of clock cases in 1741, emphasizing that not all this work was done in London. Some cases have features that identify them as coming from the same workshop, and although it is not usually possible to identify the makers, some fix trade labels to their cases. In Kent, William Goulden, there were actually two cabinet makers of this name, who were cousins, both making clock cases from neighboring premises in Canterbury. Produced cases with a cresting that is highly distinctive in those on cases made elsewhere in London or Norfolk. Goulden was continuing the tradition of Charles Lapine, to whom he had apprenticed, who had made clock cases with this type of Kentish cresting. Lincolnshire cabinet makers were partial to the including labels on their clock cases, and examples are known by Henry Blow, 
Jay Summerscales, and John Usler, all of London, John Wilcox of Bourne, and Charles Oliver of Spalding. In Derbyshire, Francis Shacklock of Stanfree near Bolser, a member of a family of cabinet makers, carvers, and turners, made clock cases for his brother Godfrey, who even in 1830 was making his own movements rather than just being a retailer, so that's quite impressive to say the least. Some American tall case clocks contain casemakers' labels, and these include William Lloyd of Springfield and Daniel Clay of Greenfield, both in Massachusetts. After 1773, Samuel Deacon of Leicestershire had all of his cases made by his father-in-law, William Adcock. After Adcock died in 1803, all cases were made by T. Bradley of Barlstone. After 1825, Seth Thomas, not to be confused with the American clockmaker of the same name, made Deacon's cases, as well as Mr. Newton of Heather. These places are all village in Lancashire, with an easy reach of Deacon's workshop. But if the need arose, Deacon was prepared to go further afield, as in 1803, when he was supplied with a long case by Hobson of 33 Church Street in Shorewich in London. In Derbyshire, John Woolley, nephew of the better-known James Woolley of Condor, 1700-86, had his clock cases made by John Bowden, which died in 18, or 1786, who lived just a couple miles away in the village of Denby. Thomas Hargraves of Settle in Yorkshire Dales used the services of Vincent Halpike, a local cabinet maker. In Newcastle upon Tyne, J. Guthrie of 4th Street is listed in trade directories in 1824 as a joiner, cabinet maker, sofa maker, and clock case manufacturer. These examples are typical of most provincial and country makers of clock cases. By 1788, the accomplished American clockmaker Daniel Burnap of East Windsor, Connecticut, was buying his better clock cases from Samuel Neelan of Hartford and Jonathan Burge, who seems to have specialized in clock cases. Both established casemakers case of repute, while simpler pine cases may have been the work of journeyman cabinet makers Jonathan Bright and Joseph Bartlett. Samuel Neelan traded with Neeland and Adams from 1792 to 1793, but thereafter traded, traded under his own name and moved to Farmingham in 1798. Labeled examples of casework made by Neeland and the firm of Neeland and Adams are known, but despite the fact that Burnap brought seven cherrywood cases, none of their labels are known. Simon Loomis is another East Windsor, Windsor joiner and cabinet maker who, in 1793, supplied Burnett with 12 clock cases. Burnett often paid for his cases only by barter, never by cash, giving clock movements and presumably their dials in part exchange. But in 1794, he contracted with Jonathan Bright, a journeyman cabinet maker, to produce cases in Burnap's own workshop. Journeyman in this context means itinerant, not associated with a typical apprenticeship. Burnap supplied all the materials and paid 
Bright just his wages and lodgings. The following year, Burnett advertised for a journeyman cabinet maker to make clock cases. As a result, he employed Joseph Bartlett. Bright made 14 cases in 19 weeks, whereas Bartlett completed 22 cases in 18 weeks. The employment of journeyman cabinet makers, which in this case, as we just said, was itinerant to make clock casers, has not been recorded in Britain. No doubt because each village or nearby town would usually have tradesmen capable of doing this type of work. Other cabinet makers who supplied Daniel Burnap with clock cases include Isaac Kelly of Norwich in Vermont, James Flint, and Jacob Thompson. Massachusetts makers of clock cases included Anthony Wooderman of Merrimack Street, Boston. In 1830, and, and Henry Willard of 843 Washington Street, Boston in 1829. As with most aspects of horology, there are a few exceptions to the general rule that the clockmaker did not make the case. It is clear from the inventory of Thomas Power, clockmaker of Wellingsboro, who died in 1709, that he made both the movements and the cases of his clocks. Apart from all his clockmaking tools, and this was an indicator of his inventories. He had various clock case moldings, four clock, case, four clock cases unfinished, two saws and other jointers tools. Winter Bottom and Newton of Churchgate, Stockport, are listed in a directory of 1784 as watch and clock makers and cabinet makers. In Yorkshire, Robert Holborn of South Cave, was recorded in parish registers as a joiner and clockmaker in the second half of the 18th century, while William Hall of Ruthbury, Northumberland, was listed as a clockmaker and cabinetmaker in 1834, but only as a cabinetmaker in 1847. In Scotland, James Pierre of Colin, Banshire, was a clockmaker and cabinetmaker in 1830 to 1850. So presumably, he made his own cases. James Sutherland of Aberdeen was listed as a clockmaker, dialmaker, and casemaker. But what he made and what he merely retailed is not known. In London, John Marigot was both a joiner and a clockmaker, and his sons were apprenticed to him as joiners as were clockmakers. They were likely to have made the cases for their own clocks. In America, where Despite the fact that many early clockmakers had to be more versatile than their, to their British counterparts, and most American clockmakers be, being itinerant, clock cases were usually made by joiners and cabinet makers. But there were exceptions. Maycock Ward, who was working as a clockmaker in Wallingsford, Connecticut in 1724 till his death in 1783, was also a lawyer and a prominent local politician before the American Revolution. He made tower clocks, tall case clocks with both wooden and brass movements, and is said to have been constructed the cases for many of them, though no examples are known to have survived. American case makers sometimes brought in, brought in movements and sold and completed the completed clocks with their names on the dials. Um, so this finishes up case making. Uh, most of the names that we've talked about throughout this episode. Um, are the only ones we know that have any tracings to building clock cases and or our clock and case makers simultaneously. 
So of the thousands and thousands that made clocks and cases, we have very few uh, finite information on the, uh, you know, on locating these and, and attributions. So Greg Perry, the historic preservationist, signing out.